We have a uh, six-week series now that we're jumping into called In the Dust of the Rabbi. And um, I need you to know, before we dive into this, there's a certain degree of angst uh, and tension that I'm bringing uh, that I have felt coming into this first week with you guys. And I, I, my hope is that you uh, are challenged, uh, but my hope is uh, as well that you see it as a challenge and you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus. So let's pray before uh, we get things kicked off. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. And, and Jesus, we ask that you would be over and through all of the words that are shared today. Um, how deeply you desire to know us, to have a relationship with us, a real a walk with us. And so God, as we look at your, your persistent pursuit of us, uh, as we look at your captivating call over our lives, uh, Lord, we ask that we be moved by the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Whenever I look at a captivating call or, or God's pursuit in someone's life, in all of my ministry thus far, going back to my youth minister days, the most incredible moment I've had up to this point in my ministry uh, came from one of the most unlikely situations and scenarios ever. Uh, I don't know those of you ever heard of the band Korn. Um, Korn uh, plays music that we will never cover in church, okay? That's the best way I can put it. Um, kind of a... a uh, uh, adult, expletive-filled stuff, okay? Uh, they had won a lot of awards. They made a lot of money. They did a lot of things. They played Woodstock 2. They opened up for Ozzy Osbourne or, or, and all that. Like, I mean, they've, they've been at the pinnacle of music. And all of a sudden, it hit MTV and it hit our media that their lead guitarist, Brian Welch, walked away from the band. The money, the fame, the power, the access... And he attributed all of it to Jesus, and that his life was going to be different. He walked away from every bit of it. And so my brother, who uh, I found out later, told my parents when he was younger that he was like going to a friend's house, and then he actually went to a corn concert. That confession came out like a decade later. But anyway, he, uh, he told me, hey, you should try to get Brian Welch at your church. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And then he laughed and, and walked away. So I was like, that was like a personal challenge. So I took the next year almost, stalking Brian Welch. We had a member of our church that did retina scanners for airports. I know this is kind of creepy, but bear with me. I felt like I had, my heart was in the right place. Does that make sense? So I talked to him, and I said, here's the person I'm trying to track down. Where does he live? I don't know if that's over the top or not. And I got a whole packet, okay, of like every place this guy had lived, and I sent letters to any home that I thought he could be at. They all were returned to sender, completely rejected. I started firing off emails. Hey, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Would you mind coming to my church? Nothing, nothing, nothing. After eight months, randomly fire off an email. I get a response. And before I know it, me and my brother are in a minivan, driving to the airport, picking up Brian Welch. Like, I couldn't even get over it. We were, we were shocked. And so what we did is, is we went um, to KSBJ and did an interview. Then we went to 94.5 The Buzz and the Rod Ryan Show, and we did an interview. And then uh, we went to two different high schools and just, like, walked them around the high schools. And he had the same message every time. I want you to come to Salem. I'm just going to tell you about my life and, and, and what Jesus had done in my life. I just want to invite you to, to come on out. And he, he didn't mix words on 94.5 or anywhere. I mean, he, 
It was just incredible. And it was actually during that day that we were at La Madeline, okay? Ryan Welch was at La Madeline, okay? We were like sharing a quiche, okay? Try to even put that in, right? And he said, you know, I could go back to the money tomorrow. They're calling me to record. I answer one phone call, I have it all back. But I can't, I can't. My heart isn't ready. The band isn't ready. They're in a totally different place. And once he tasted this call of Jesus, the persistent love of Jesus, even when he was still yet a sinner, Christ died for him. He couldn't turn away. So this is a very condensed clip of that day and that night. Um, you're going to hear his music. He started writing music, formed a band. Um, for some of you, this is not going to sound like it's a Christian song, okay? Because it's, it's kind of as heavy as the band he left. Uh, but it's actually a song called Adonai, Hebrew word for God. And uh, that's kind of the soundtrack to what you're about to see on what happened that day. Check it out.
he signed autographs till midnight that were young and old, rich and poor, businessmen, people probably barely even able to hold down a job. I mean, the full spectrum was moved by his story. And when I tasted that personally, I wanted a church to be that way. Once I saw God call someone in such a dramatic fashion, and I was face to face with it, and then I saw God leverage that person to then call and pursue other people, it was just overwhelming how God would chase after imperfect people. I don't know if you know what our mission statement is, and and you probably don't because I don't communicate it very well, uh, and it's not really anyone else's fault but mine. But if you didn't know, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Equipping and empowering imperfect people to become devoted followers of Jesus. I only want you to look at two words there, um, imperfect people. The thought that Pilgrim would be full of imperfect people, led by imperfect people. And that isn't just like kind of a corporate mission statement. It's actually meant to be an invitation. Because what keeps people out of a community like this is they're convinced you think you're perfect. Even if you pretend like you are, right? And they don't think that they're worthy or they've had a bad experience, which leads them to believe, to come to the conclusion that there's no way that there could be a community of believers that's for them, for the imperfect person. And yet Jesus pursues imperfect people. Our text is out of uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 19. And I just want to share with you how things looked about 2,000 years ago. You know, you'd have a, a synagogue, okay, and then you had a school attached to it. Many of us who are Lutheran think that that's kind of our idea, kind of having a church and a school together. Uh, sorry, it's 2,000 years old and it's Jewish, okay? We didn't make it up so we can all breathe. Okay, there was a church and a school. And what you'd have is this first round of schooling was called Beth Sefer. And Beth Sefer was for kids, boys and girls, all the way up to about age 12. And what they would study is called the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these kids would learn to write it. By the time they were 12 years old, they could recite much of it and explain a great deal of the Torah. About age 12, especially in this town called Bethsaida, that's where our text takes place. Bethsaida means a fishing town or fisherton, okay? Right off of the Sea of Galilee. And these kids, as of about age of, age of 12, many of whom, the, the, the young ladies within a few years would be married and, and take care of a home. The young men at some point would go into the family trade, the, the trade of their, their grandfather, their father, and they'd work with their uncles and their cousins. And that's how life went for the vast majority of people. But then there was this other level, this higher level of education called Beth Madrash. Now, Beth Madrash would be for those who would then gather if they had the time available, and rabbis would come together in this school, and they would talk about the ancient texts. They would debate and discuss the meaning behind all of these texts. And then within that, there would be these young men, 13, 14, 15 years of age, who some, a very select few, who had the passion, the skills, the gifts, and the ability 
we'll begin to study what's called the Tanakh, basically the rest of the Old Testament. And when I mean study, I mean memorizing virtually the entire thing. Most of which, at some point, would wash out. But even just a handful left of even that would decide that they want to be a rabbi. And to be a rabbi means you have to know the vast majority of the Old Testament, and then you have to pick a rabbi. Maybe it's his charisma, his teaching style, whatever it could be, whatever drew you to a certain rabbi, you would go up to that rabbi and say, hey, may I follow you? Can I follow you? Is that all right? And usually the rabbi would size you up. He may walk with you for a few days. He may kind of drill you with a few questions. Watch how you interact with people. And if he decided you had the skills, the gifts, the ability, and the passion, the burning passion in your heart, only at that point would he look at you and say, okay, come and follow me. At that point, you would follow him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years. And during that period is when you'd be called a Talmud. A Talmud is a disciple. See, if I ask many of us here in the Christian church right now in this setting, are you a disciple of Jesus? Many of us would say, well, I know the Bible. Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm a disciple. This culture, a disciple gave up everything. A disciple memorized virtually the entire Old Testament. A disciple walked with his rabbi 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years, until finally the rabbi would look at you and go, hey, you did it. Go make your own disciples. This was the standard. So I just want to ask you real quick, if you think you're a disciple, from what I just described, are you a disciple? Do you have a burning desire to grow? Do you have a burning desire to grow and to learn is who Jesus is? Do you walk with Him every day of your life? I think if we're honest in here, and I think if I'm honest with myself, okay, the answer is no. And maybe now you can understand why Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all from this little town, Bethsaida, just that few hundred people, maybe ten family units total. This little rural nothing town. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Philip were all from this little nothing blip on a map town. And maybe now you can understand why Philip, Andrew, James, and John were fishing. Why? Because they washed out. Maybe they weren't smart enough. Maybe they weren't good enough. Maybe they just didn't have the passion. And you know what they decided? They decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a godly man, okay? I'm going to go do my job. I'm going to lead a good life, and that's enough for me. That'll work. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what they did. Until one day, Jesus shows up. And Jesus does something that is completely countercultural. He invades their day. He invades their world and looks at a group of young men who were told by the religious system, you're not good enough, who deep in their hearts knew they didn't have the skills, the passion, or the ability, and he goes to them without them even asking. He says, hey, come follow me, Matthew 4, 19. 
I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus took what was imperfect people. You know, um, I hope you notice from the ministry of Jesus, there's a few things Jesus never does. And he doesn't do it in this text either. He didn't go up to them and say, hey, I see you're out here fishing. Can I invite you to the synagogue? Hey, why don't you come to the synagogue? Hey, is your life in trouble? Have you ever thought about going to the synagogue? Are you having a hard time in life? You know, are you looking for just like a good community? How about the synagogue? What about God? Do you believe in God? Maybe you should believe in God. See, Jesus is actually very, very specific. When he talks about God, he calls it the Father. He's very, very clear. He doesn't invite people to the synagogue. Does that make sense? And here's what I want to challenge you of. We live in a culture right now as followers of Jesus that are not doing the very thing that Jesus did to make disciples. We're not fulfilling even the heart of that when we do this. Can I just tell you that our culture has no idea when you say, I believe in God, who you're talking about. Which God? I mean, when you're with your friends, oh, I, I love God. Everybody loves God, especially if he's not defined, right? It could be a universalist God. It can be the God of self. It could be a whole other religion. We have tons of religions in America. We all love God. God is fine. Who are you talking about? Or church, when you have a person in your life who's hurting and God graciously opens up a window into their heart and into their soul and we go, what if I invited you to church? Have you ever thought about going to church? There's nothing compelling about church without Jesus. There's nothing interesting about church without Jesus. Do you know what this is right now without Jesus? This is a VFW Hall bingo night, a Masonic Lodge, a bowling alley, the kind of thing that people aren't sure if they can be a part of or not. They may go to once or twice a year just, you know, to celebrate a birthday. Oh, whose birthday is it? Oh, it's Jesus' birthday. Let's go bowling, right? Just once or twice a year. It looks kind of weird and distant. People stand up and sit down. We don't know what they're doing. Are there secret handshakes? What's going on? No one knows. That's what church is to people. Pilgrim. Pilgrim didn't save you. He has a name. His name is Jesus. We need to use his name. That's who saved you. That's who loved you. That's who rescued you. That's who's working in your life. Right now when you're indifferent and arrogant and disinterested and apathetic to who Jesus is, he's pursuing you. He loves you even when you don't love him. Jesus, not pilgrim. Pilgrim is full of imperfect people. And if you're joining us this morning, thinking you're joining a place that's going to be different necessarily because the people are always different, you're going to be disappointed. You're led by imperfect people. Even if I nail it, okay, as your pastor, I return every text, every email, every phone call. Guess what, okay? This will break your heart. One day I'm going to get old, sick, and I'm going to die. Somewhere in there, I'm not going to return your call. His name is Jesus. That's what's captivating. That's what's life-changing. Can I just tell you something? If you make the words out of your mouth about Jesus and you never talk about Pilgrim ever again, not only do I not have a problem with that, number one, number two, this church will grow. 
because a group of people that are about Jesus, I can tell you this right now, Jesus will take care of Pilgrim. It's his church. Let Jesus deal with Pilgrim. Let's worry about the people that are lost and let them hear what Jesus is doing in your life. That's what changes a ministry. That's what changes a group of believers like this. Uh, We just moved. Um, Just a few weeks ago, uh, we moved into a rental property that was previously my brother's house, which was kind of a strange turn of events. And while we were there, the next door neighbor, uh, sweet as can be lady, she is so sweet. I don't know, uh, she doesn't have boundaries. I don't know another way to say it, okay? She doesn't. I'd only talked to her a few times, and I'm I'm dead dead serious. She's a sweet lady, okay? Uh, She came over after only talking a few times, and we were putting Emerson in my mother-in-law's car to go off for the weekend. She's already strapped into the seat. Um, She came over with her dog. Her dog stopped, lifted his leg, and peed on Mallory's foot, okay? Right there. 60 seconds later, I kid you not, she reaches her head in and kisses my daughter goodbye. Now, here's the deal, okay? Uh, I know how we are in America. We consider our dogs part of the family, Okay, so let me just say this. If you or your household pees on my wife and within a minute then kisses my child on the face, you must think you're a part of the family. Okay, because there's only two people that pee on my wife. That's Hyler, okay, and that's Emerson. And there's only three people in our house, in our house anyways, that kiss Emerson on the face, okay? So you must think you're a part of our family. Therefore, all of the rules about learning about your life no longer apply because you're a part of the family, okay? So after that point, I kind of went passive-aggressive evangelism, okay? I got to work on my heart. wasn't totally right, but I thought, you know, if you're going to pee on my wife, kiss my kid on the face, she's still trying to wipe it off, and you're already kissing my kid, guess what, lady? We're talking about Jesus. So she sat on my porch. She's Jewish, okay? She's Jewish. And she sat there, And she said, you know, I've been talking to my rabbi. I just don't understand these horrible things that are happening in the world. I take care of these kids in this shelter and their lives are destroyed. And she says, what do you think God thinks about that? I've been asking him, we're digging through the Old Testament trying to figure out, you know, what what does he think? I said, you know, as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, can I just say, I, I know what God thinks about the terrible things in this world. And it's called the cross. God hates what has happened. God's heart breaks for what is happening all over this planet. He's disgusted. He's furious. His vengeance is white hot. And he poured it all out on his kid on the cross. And I said, you know, you're trying to figure out, does God love these kids? And can I say, I know that he does because of the cross. Because Jesus would die for those kids. Jesus loves those kids more than you. So you may be sitting here today going, man, I, I don't have the passion to be a disciple. I'm just too inconsistent in my life. 
You know, I'm hot and cold. I try to get into it and I can't. You may be thinking, I just don't know enough. I just don't have the ability. I'm not eloquent enough. Whatever it could possibly be. Can I just tell you that in the school of Jesus, the very thing that you think disqualifies you as a follower of Jesus is the very thing that God will use to make him known. The very thing that you think disqualifies you to be a disciple of Jesus is the very thing he may use to grow you to understand exactly who he is, to taste his grace, to understand his pursuit, his never-ending, passionate pursuit of you, even when you're at your lowest moments. That is the grace and the love of God invading your life. And his message to you, church, is very simple. Come and follow me.